0: your life is bread. The passage that we're going to look at is Genesis, and we're also going to look at some other passages inside of the Bible. But today I want to go on this sermon series I started the other week. This one's a really exciting series. We talked about bread the first week. This week we're going to talk about blessings. Do you feel blessed? There's the question. I want to throw that out to you, and I want you to think about that for a moment. Do you feel God's blessing in your life? I hope the answer is yes. My name is Reverend Derek Gilder. I'm the pastor at McKees Mills Baptist Church and I want to say blessed be the name of the Lord. I got thinking about all the wonderful things that we have in life and the very first point that I want to make is I do believe that we are blessed in so many ways and I want to start off first and foremost going all the way back to Genesis. I want to make the point here. This is true. Creation. God created everything that we see Everything, everything that exists, God created, and He created us to have a relationship with Him. Now, if you can't say Amen, I am blessed that. I can't imagine what you could, because the truth is, is that God loves you and He cherishes you, and He created you in His image so that you might have uh, moments with Him and times when you can speak with Him and times when you can worship Him and when you can bow down to Him. And He takes care of us in so many different ways. And I hope and pray that you feel God's blessing. But first and Foremost, let's talk about what it means to be blessed. There are many different definitions out in the world. What it means to be blessed. You know what? A lot of people, I think, just use it in casual conversation. They say, you know what? I am blessed. It's just a, basically an expression. Other people say, you know what, you are blessed. And they look at all the material things that they have or the stuff that they have, you know, their health or maybe the abundance of, of beauty or popularity or power. And they look at them and say, you are blessed. And it just basically means, you know what, I think that you've got a lot of stuff. I think you've got a lot of things going well in your life. But I got thinking, you know what? Surely blessings, especially when it comes to scriptures, surely it means a lot more than just material things. I think that, you know what, if you have good health and if you have, you know, lots of material possessions, I think that's an indication that God is blessing you. Absolutely. And God does bless us with the things he knows that we ultimately need. But surely if we're going to talk about a definition, God's definition of blessing, it must go way beyond the material things of this world, and it must deal with a glimpse into something more, into the spiritual realm in which God also created. I got thinking about our our situations in life. Not everybody can sit back and say that they have a lot of material things, and not everybody can say that they're the most beautiful person in the world, and not everyone is powerful or successful. Blessings are actually defined by various people in the Bible. In the most bleak of circumstances, they cry out and say, I am blessed, which of course challenges our standard definition of blessings. Most people in this world think that you got a lot of stuff if you're going to be blessed, but the Bible, not so much so. I got thinking, you know what? We feel our blessings, I think, in all sorts of different circumstances. I got thinking about Apostle Paul, for instance. He went through a lot of hardship, didn't he? He was imprisoned, he got severe floggings, he got beatings with rods, three times he shipwrecked, and you know what? He says in the end, I am so incredibly blessed because I met the Lord Jesus Christ, and I still got my eyes firmly fixed on him, and therefore I am blessed beyond all measure. Can you imagine that? Think about all the things that Apostle Paul went through all of his life that he served the Lord Jesus Christ. He went through persecutions. He was told by the prophet. He said, The prophet told him, he said, you know what? If you follow Jesus, if you get this calling that Jesus is giving you, Paul, and you actually follow it, then you know what? God's going to show you how much you are going to be persecuted for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he certainly got to experience that. And what about Job? There's another individual who, despite his circumstances, despite him losing all of his material possessions, and despite him losing all of his family except for his wife, he still cried out and said, Blessed am I. I am a blessed person. He sat back and said, You know what? I still love the Lord. Blessed be the Lord who gives and takes away. So we got this situation where people, Christians, born-again believers, are sitting back saying, I am blessed. Even in dark times too as well. Surely being blessed transcends the accumulation of treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, Matthew six, nineteen to twenty-one. Since life is described as a mist that appears just for a little while and then vanishes, James four fourteen, true blessings must be sought elsewhere. The Bible indicates, you know what, having things, having power, having beauty, having good health. These are all things that are earthly of nature. And yes, they are indications of blessings from God. Certainly so. But not always. There's lots of people who don't have any of those things and yet still cry out like Paul and Job that they are blessed. To comprehend God's definition, his own definition of what blessings truly mean, I think we got to go back to creation. I think we got to go back and say, how did God create this world and everything in it? And why do we find our blessings, a definition of blessing, comes from there and nowhere else? And I got thinking about it. He says, in the beginning, the earth was formless. In other words, it didn't exist. There's lots of theologians that talk about this, Karl Barth being one of them. And he says, you know what, there was a time when... Time did not exist. There's, there was a situation before the beginning of time, Karl Barth says, Jesus Christ, God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existed, and only they existed. Everything that we see, Colossians 1.16, was created by him and for him, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I got thinking about the creation story. It's a beautiful story, isn't it? You know what the truth is, is that it's, it's a story of a miracle. God created everything. It was a miracle that he created everything across six different days. Let's go through the days very quickly. On day one of creation, God said he spoke into existence. He said, let there be light. And he separated the light from the darkness. And therefore, day and night came into existence. On day two, God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. Thus, the sky was formed. On day three, God said, Let the water under the sky gather into one place, and let the dry ground appear, and the land and the seas were formed. God said, Let the land produce vegetation, and the plants and the trees were formed to bear fruit and seed in it according to the various kinds. On day four, God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years and let the vaults in the sky exist. Let there be, you know, light, the moon, the sun, the stars. Let all that exist. And as soon as God said it, it was so. On day five, God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. And in that moment, he created the great creatures of the sea and every winged uh, bird according to its kind. And on day six, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that he might rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and over all the wild animals and all the creatures that move along the ground. And it was so. When God finished all this creation by speaking creation into existence, he said this, it is good. It was very good, actually, Genesis one thirty one, And by the seventh day, God rest. This is the creation story. And I got thinking about the key to knowing that one is blessed, ultimately, is to realize that God created all things. Everything that we see and do not see, God created absolutely everything. Our existence, in other words, didn't come by chance. It wasn't like this. all of a sudden the whole world was created. That's just not the way it happened, according to God's holy word. God created everything. It's not like there was there was a, a situation where there's this big bang that happened off into the into this this unknown region. No, it could not be so. God would have to create the matter in the first place. The truth is, is that God says, "I created everything. I spoke everything into existence. I'm the one who said." Now of course I've listened to many professors and some of them make some really good points. There is there are ways that you can synthesize the Big Bang theory or synthesize, you know, other versions of how we were created with the Bible. It is possible, of course. But truthfully, I think we got to not lose what's in the Bible. We got to sit back and say it was a miracle. God formed it. God created the way in which he did. One can always argue, you know, black and blue in the face. But the truth is that God created everything, including us, by the commands of a loving creator. This is what we don't want to lose, especially when we look at science. We've got to remember that God is sovereign over all things seen and unseen, and especially that he loves us very, very much. I got thinking, why does he love us? Think about some of the things, ultimately, that we could look at. The people of this world, a lot of the theologians, especially a group called the Gnostics, back sat back and said, You know what? This world and everything in it is considered to be evil. It's wicked. The only thing that's really good is a divine spark within side of a person. That's the only thing that is good. You know what? The truth is, is that, you know what, even though God ultimately destroyed the entire world, why? Because every inclination of our hearts became evil. In other words, we weren't actually looking to God and saying, I want to get closer to you, Lord. I want to know you better. I want to serve you. I want to worship you. Instead, the second that we found out what was evil, humanity decided, you know what? We love evil far more than we do good because we like making our own choices. We don't want God to tell us what to do, so we went on our own path. As a result of that, God destroyed all the world, except ultimately for Noah and his family. And I got thinking, even though God did that, And even though God rained down fire on Sodom and Gomorrah, because Sodom and Gomorrah became so wicked in God's sight, they said, I'm going to have to kill you all. And the only ones that actually survived was Lot and his family. And we know his wife turned into uh, uh, stone, and she didn't survive the ordeal. So Lot and his two daughters, and that's it. And we know that even though this outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah was so great and there was so much wickedness and so much evil there that God had to destroy it even though that is true and even though Apostle Paul says there's no one righteous not a single individual nobody really seeks God and nobody really truly understands him even though this is all true and one can paint humanity in a very negative light the truth is is that this world is far from evil and far from wicked Remember, God said after he created everything on the sixth day and he's getting ready to rest, he said, you know what? He looked at everything and said, it is very good, even humanity and all the world in which exists. The world and everything in it is truly wonderful and beautiful. Now, there was a group I mentioned earlier, the Gnostics. They believed this world was actually wicked. They believed that there was a whole bunch of gods, aeons, up in heaven, and they were basically saying, you know what, we're going to have a little battle here, and we're going to basically create this world, and we're going to take the divine spark of one of these gods, and we're going to plant it within human beings, a shell, and they're going to be imprisoned there. And once they get the special knowledge, whatever that special knowledge they figure was, eventually they'll understand who they are, part of the Godhead, and they'll end up returning. course, we don't believe in any of that. We sit back and say, you know what? This world is not the byproduct of a whole bunch of different gods who got angry and bitter and said, I want somebody to worship me. I want somebody to be my slave. This is not what this world is. Not even close. You know what? And and this world wasn't created for um, a whole bunch of people to exist, basically, and to chant a whole bunch of slogans to the gods and to worship them. Definitely not. We know in scripture, in the book of Acts, it says that God doesn't need anyone to worship him. He doesn't need anyone to bow to him. He didn't create us for that purpose. He created us because he loves us. And I think that's what we want to focus on. Genesis ultimately reveals to us that a sovereign God created everything for a purpose. That purpose was for us to look up us as human beings to say, I want to know you, God. You are my father, and I want to have a relationship with you. God didn't create this world because he was angry and bitter, and he certainly didn't create this world because he wanted to have a divine spark, so to speak, entrapped in human bodies. He didn't create this world because he needed praise from us. He only created this world because he loves us. God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross through his death ultimately and his payment for all of our sins. If we have faith in him, we get to go to heaven and be with God the Father in heaven forever. And I think that's so incredibly beautiful. We are blessed beyond all measure why not because we have a whole bunch of material things and not necessarily because we have really good health or not because you know we got a lot of power or prestige why are we truly blessed when we cut away all that stuff all that material stuff all the earthly things why are we blessed because God loves us that's why because God loves us and he has allowed us uh, the ability to become his own children We can be adopted forever into his family. That is the source of our blessings. And I got thinking, to accept that you are blessed is not an easy task. You know, I've met with a lot of people who have gone through some very difficult times. I myself have gone through a a lot of hardships the last few years. And it's not easy sometimes when life circumstances get really bleak. And you know, when your health starts to fail, for instance, or maybe you've got marital problems, or maybe you've got financial difficulties, or you know what, maybe some co-workers are giving you a really hard time, whatever it might be. You know, there's lots of trials and tribulations that we go through in life, and as a result of that, it becomes really hard to see through the fog of our pain to see that we are blessed. After God finished creating everything, he said, it's all very good. Though most Christians accept this to be true, they still wrestle with what is good, what seems okay, how am I going to live my life, especially in the fact that I'm going through this dark valley and it's so difficult. And you know what, the reality is, is that even when things are going well, we sit and look at our lives and a lot of people in this world, even Christians sit back and say, am I a good person? Am I truly living for God? Am I truly, does my life truly matter in the first place? It's not so easy for us to understand or even see our blessings. But the truth is, we are blessed. You know what? If we're going to accept the truth that we are, then it's going to require us to successfully view our identity and our purpose based on God's holy word. There was a fellow, and his name was uh, Richard Bauckham. And he wrote a book and it was called, uh, let me see here, it's, it's called uh, Bible of Mission, uh, Christian Witness in a Postmodern World. And, and, you know, he writes this book and he says, you know what, the key for us to know that we're blessed and the key for us to know why we're here and the key for all of our blessings is to know our story inside of God's story. He says there is a meta narrative. he calls it, a big giant story. God's written it in God's holy word. But God's also writing a story for each and every one of us. We know that from Psalms 139. David says, you've written everything down about my life. So there's this wonderful and beautiful story that's been written about each and every one of us. And the meta-narrative is an attempt to tell a single story, my individual story, in light of a much bigger one. And I can think of no better story to locate my own in than inside of God's story. The Bible is the only story that qualifies as meta-narrative because God, the creator, is the only one, the only one qualified to tell us why we're here. How much he loves us, what is our purpose, what's our reason for existence, and what really makes us tick, and what were we designed to do? Love him. This is what we need to know. It is each person's responsibility, though, and this this Richard Bauckham says, to examine our own lives in context of God's revelation. Not only is self uh, tied to knowledge of God, but we know ourselves truthfully only when we know ourselves in relation to whom God is. We know who we are when we can place ourselves or locate our own lives within God's story. That's a lot to understand, isn't it? But basically what he's saying is is that the truth is, is that the more we understand how we fit our own individual lives and how God's will for us fits within his greater story, the more we see a sense of purpose, a reason for existence, and the more we understand our blessings. Let's see how this works by telling a story. I want to tell you a story about Hagar. Now, you know, and this brings me to my second point. If we want to see our blessings, then we have to understand that God has our future secure within his own hands. And the future that he has for us is glorious, amazing, breathtaking. We've got to hang on to that, especially when we're going through difficult times. You know, it's very easy when things are going are bleak, when things are really dark. You know, and, and, and things are not going very well. And we're sitting back saying, how am I ever going to feel joy again? Or am I ever going to have good health again? Or um, how am I ever going to fix my finances? Or how am I going to fix that marriage issue that I have that keeps coming up? You know, when we go through dark and difficult times, the truth is, is that we need to understand and we need to reach for and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, who is a pioneer and perfecter of our, of our faith. We've got to trust that he knows what he's doing. We've got to trust that he's going to do good always. And he's going to work through our lives in such a way that it, everything that we experience and go through will be for our good for those who love the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 8, So we've got to sit back and say, hang on and say, you know what? I get it. God's in charge. I get it. God's going to take care of me. I get it. In the midst of the storm, God's going to pick me up and he's going to actually whisk me off my feet and he's going to carry me over the most difficult times of life. And actually, even though I feel pain, at the same time, the paradox will be, I feel joy because my creator is making me strong despite my weaknesses. The future matters, and we need to hang on to God's future for us, his plan for us each and every day. And if we don't hang on to that, and we don't believe that God has firm control over our lives, then we're never going to feel blessed, are we? But let's talk a little bit about Hagar and see how this all works out. In Genesis, we are told the calling, the blessing of Abraham. God told him, he said, you know what, I want you to go to this distant land. He didn't even tell him where he was going to go. He said, just pack everything up, and I want you to go. And I'm going to make you into a great nation. I am going to bless you with the descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore. Genesis twenty two seventeen. 17. You know what? Abraham didn't have any children at this point. And he's an older man. And he's sitting back saying, okay, God, if you're saying that I am going to be blessed, I'm going to be made into a great nation, then I'm going to believe you. I'm going to take whatever you tell me to be the truth. And it was credited to Abraham as being righteous because he had done so. Now, here's the problem, though. He gets into this place, this land of Canaan. and He's been there for about 10 years. And it says that after 10 years, he doesn't have any children. He's saying, okay, God, I was old. When you first called me, and now I'm even older, I'm a decade older, and I haven't had a single child, and you said you'd make me into a great nation, and you would bless me, and I'm seeing no signs of these blessings, and I'm getting to the point where I can't have any children soon, and Lord, if I don't do something, I'm not going to get the blessing. See, he didn't trust him. didn't trust God. So ultimately, he took on a wife, Egyptian slave named Hagar. And he said, you know what? I will build my family, my own way, through Hagar. She's going to be my wife, and I'll get my blessing my own way. I can't wait for you anymore, God. I'm going to do it my own. Now I want to focus on Hagar. Hagar was a slave. And you know what? In A slave in the in the ancient world was not a very good thing to be, actually. It meant ultimately because she was a woman and a slave, she had no intrinsic value whatsoever. She had absolutely no freedom. And certainly she did not have a great future that was planned for her. So for Abram to come up to her and say, oh, by the way, I want to have my family line to come from you was an incredible blessing beyond all measure. Something she could never, ever think of. She probably sat back and said, really? I mean, my life, I thought, was set in stone. I thought I was going to, you know, basically be the slave. The rest of my life insignificant significant property of somebody else. And then I was going to die. But now here's this new plan. I am actually going to have a child of Abraham. I'm going to be the one that is the whole family line is going to go through. This is exciting. Abraham's going to treat me much differently after I have a child. She was probably thinking. But the problem ultimately was that she did bear a son. She gets pregnant, and of course, uh, you know, Sarah, Abram's uh, uh, wife, is sitting back saying, you know what, I really don't like the situation very much. I was hoping that I'd be the one in which the blessing would come from. And and when she gets pregnant, the jealousy, of course, starts to rage. And then when Ishmael gets born, there's even more jealousy, ultimately. The tension rose very sharp between the two ladies, Genesis chapter number 16. The situation intensifies when Abram at the age of 90 actually has, he has his promise. This is beautiful. He has the blessing actually comes to fruition. God says, yes, I know, Abram, you tried to do it your way. And I know you think you got your blessing through Ishmael, your first child with with Hagar. I understand that. But God said that was not the plan. The plan was for Sarah to have a child, Isaac. And through Isaac would be the whole blessing. And he sat back and said, you know what, Abram, it's going to happen, whether you believe it or not. And of course, Abram and and Sarah sitting back saying, I don't know. And and Sarah saying, but my womb is dead. I I can't have any more children. We've gone past the point where a blessing can happen. God said, think again. And it happened. And she conceived and gave birth to a son in Genesis chapter number six, 17. And as time passed, though, more conflict now is arising. Who gets the blessing? You know, there was there was the big argument. Ultimately, Sarah said, you know what? I do not want any of, of your possessions, Abram, to go to Ishmael, Hagar's child. I don't want that. I want all the blessings to go through Isaac. And as long as Hagar's around with her illegitimate son in her eyes there's a chance that he might get some of the blessing and i don't want him to have anything get rid of him of course this conflict is huge and eventually because uh, ishmael is caught mocking and, and make poking a little bit of fun at isaac and 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 making the situation far worse sarah says to abram you got to get rid of her hagar must go and Abram finally, reluctantly, and didn't really want to, he said, okay, I will send her off. So he sends her off to the desert. And you know what? He's, she's banished to the desert of Berseda in a moment of desperation. Hagar's sitting back saying, you know what? I'm in a desert. I am a, a, a female. I am a slave. And in the ancient times, these two things were a bad combination. And she's sitting in the desert and she's saying, I'm about to die from thirst. And I know I'm a goner. My son is a goner. You can see in the picture that he's passed out and he's near death. And she said, you know what? I'll put him under a bush and I'm going to go off to a distance because I can't watch him die, but I know I'm as good as dead. There will be no blessing for me. Now, here's the thing. If you go back in scripture, you actually read that an angel appeared to Hagar the first time that she ran away from home because she was having so much abuse from Sarah. The angel told her, I will make your son into a great nation. But at this point, she'd forgotten about that or didn't believe that promise. Just like Abraham and Sarah didn't believe after they couldn't have kids that they were going to get the blessing unless they took things into their own hands. The same is true of Hagar. She sat back and said, you know what? I don't think I can get a blessing now. I don't think it's possible. I'm in a desert. I'm about to die. I can't get a blessing. This isn't going to happen what God had told me. She's near death in her anguish. She was probably thinking, how could things get any worse than this? And I'm about to die without any blessings, and I'm not, no longer going to exist. You know, the truth is, the grand narrative of God's word we've got to keep in mind the the truth is is that he loves us deeply, and for those who put their trust in him, we know that all things, that that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. And Hagar needed to learn that lesson. So did Abraham and Sarah, to be honest. And as a result of that, while watching the child dying before her very eyes, this is not where the story ends at all. When Hagar was present, pregnant, she fled. And she was given a promise. Then God goes and and the angel of the Lord appears again and says, Oh, by the way, that promise that I gave you, Hagar, that's going to come true. God told you it would. Why did you ever question it? I know things seem bleak. But God has given you this wonderful blessing. And the truth is, is that your narrative of your life is actually going to go in a different trajectory. Why? Because God loves you. Very much so. He loves you with all his heart. Here's the thing. The same God who loved Hagar and gave her a child and then saved her in the desert. And the same God who loved Abraham and Sarah and gave them a child, Isaac, is the same God that loves us today. He created the entire universe and everything that is in it. And he loves us. And he sat back and said, I created you a little bit lower than the angels to humanity. He said, I crowned you with honor and glory. And he sat back and said, you know what? I want you to know me. I want you to have a relationship with me. God didn't send Jesus Christ into this world to condemn this world, but to save the world through him. And no matter how bad our circumstances ultimately get, we've got to remember that God still is for us. He's not against us. He loves us very much so. And he wants us to lift us up even in our despair. We are told in scriptures ultimately, and this from Apostle Paul, he's writing to the Church of Rome, and he says this, not even death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else, all in creation, will be able to separate us from the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I got thinking about Apostle Paul, who went through so many trials and tribulations, far more than any of us have gone through, and he's saying, you know what, my goal is to see Jesus in my life. My goal is to serve him. My goal is to love him. My goal is to keep my eyes fixed on my Lord because he is my portion. He's my treasure. This is what Paul is trying to tell us. Same thing that Solomon said. He said, God is my portion. So the question is, what are you looking for in life? Not everybody gets an easy life. I know that. And I know many people have had lives, and they've lived through many trials and tribulations that are far worse than anything I've ever gone through. And I know that it's not easy when you're going through difficulties, and it certainly isn't. And sometimes it can become very bleak in life, and you can sit back and say, Woe to me! My goodness! Can it get any worse? Just like Hagar out in the desert. But the truth is, we all go through deserts. We all go through trials and tribulations. But God loves us very much. And Apostle Paul says this. He says, you know what? Even if we go through trials and tribulations now, he said, I see them as momentary troubles. Really, Paul? You were shipwrecked? You were beaten? You you were always on the run, it says in the Bible, from bandits, and you're always from the run from the Jews and the Gentiles who are trying to kill you? And you're going to tell us this is momentary? And Paul said, yes. Why? Because I love my Lord. I want to see him. And I serve him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And Paul said, you know what? I'm going to heaven. There's that future. I'm going to heaven. And when I get there, the Lord's going to put his arms around me. And I'm going to be truly loved. And I'm going to be in his presence. And I'm going to get the greatest gift I could ever think of, the greatest blessing. I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm going to be with Jesus. And Paul's smiling. And he's saying, you know what? It doesn't matter what they do to me. I'm going to be with my Lord. We're all blessed. The fact that God loves us, despite all the bad things we've done, despite the fact that we've sinned, despite the fact that we've gone and, and done wicked things, he still loves us. And he sent his son to die and atone for all those sins and all those bad choices. And the fact that he did that for us is a blessing beyond all measure. But we've got to keep our eyes fixed on him. Because, you know what? It matters. It really does. And no matter how bad our lives get, the second we get into heaven, you know what? We're going to be in the presence of the Lord and everything is going to be amazing. And in the meantime, while we're going through those trials and tribulations, remember... Remember who's carrying you. Remember who's uplifting you. Remember who is with you. Remember that, you know what, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the story gets changed. And God changes our story all the time. and But we've got to be ready. and We've got to be willing. And we got to listen. For Hagar, her story completely changed in that desert. She thought she was dead. And if God hadn't showed up, pretty soon she would have been. The truth is, is that you may feel that way right now, but here's the thing. God changes our story all the time, but we got to know his will, and we got to run in his kingdom. So know his will. Live for him. Serve him. Be like Apostle Paul. and Keep your eyes fixed on him, and if you end up dying in very bad circumstances, sit back and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. For the moment, the angels take you up into heaven. You're going to see Jesus, and that Alone is a blessing beyond all measure. God truly does love us, even though we don't deserve it. And we are blessed forever and ever. Amen.